Welcome to the new and improved Configure It Done podcast. The Configure It Done podcast is now a place where we interview senior thought leaders in the SAP space across Australia and New Zealand. And the aim is to tap into their knowledge so we can pass on their insights to the listening SAP community. Please subscribe to the podcast and like, share and comment across Castos, YouTube, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. This podcast is in partnership with the Black Dog Institute who aim to create a mentally healthier world for everyone. If you wish to donate to the cause, please click the link below. Yeah, we've got a good guest today, um, uh, an IBM director or manager, Wes? Associate partner. Oh, partner. There we go. An IBM yeah. partner. Um, I remember talking to um, one of your not, um, colleagues. Not, not, quite, not, not quite partner yet, but associate partner. But uh, look, <laughs> the title is just a title, really. Yeah. There we go. So yeah. I remember talking to one of your colleagues, um, Amanda Oakenfell, on a previous um, series, and she had some uh, some good stories of when she was in the Navy and um, ships getting surfing with pirates and um, how she's taken that experience and runs programs now. And um, But yeah, hopefully uh, you haven't got many scary stories as that was. No, not not quite like Amanda. I mean, Amanda's had a, a really, really colourful, colourful uh, career so far. Really, really great person to chat to, and uh, hell of a hell of a good person to to know in your in your network of people. Excellent. And I've also got my colleague uh, Che Warby off with me today. How are you, Che? I'm very well. Yeah, all going well on my side. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right. Well, Wes, um, we always kick off these uh, these podcasts just so. The audience can get to know you a bit better, and um, Che's going to run you through just a few quick fire question, uh, quick fire questions. So I'll set the timer for um, a minute. Um, over to you, Che. So the first one was, um, what is your full name? Uh, it's Wesley Patrick Dunn. Wesley Patrick Dunn. It's a funny yeah. one because my stepdad's surname is Dunn as well. D U W N. Exactly the yeah. same. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people always a lot of people always ask me if I'm related to somebody else that's got the same surname or it's got an E at the end. I'm like, no, not really. But anyway, yeah. Very common. Very common. And where where are you from, Wes? Uh, originally from Johannesburg in South Africa. Yeah. It's always been up my on my uh, on my list of um, destinations that I'd love to go there. And how long have you been in Australia? Uh, just over nine years, Che. Nine years. Wow. What a long time. And yeah, it feels it feels like it's been like a lifetime, to be honest with you. I had to, I had to do a little bit of, uh, of of just reconciling how long I've been here, but because um, because I've traveled quite a lot, but uh, it's it's probably been one of the longest uh, places that I've stayed stayed put for a while. And what is your um, what is your favorite sport? Uh, look, like you guys, I'm, I'm sure. I mean, I'm a, I'm a rugby union guy. I don't mind, uh, obviously, watching soccer and and and, uh, and rugby league. Um, actually, been getting into rugby league quite a lot lately. Um, I still, for to this day, can't quite understand and follow AFL. Although it's actually pretty exciting to go watch live <laughs> rugby union. You're talking my language now. Where's being a Welshman? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the World Cup next year. I can assure you that. So I hope we do you uh, Springboks over in all honesty. But uh, I'm not <laughs> sure if that's going to happen. You know. And what is your um, favorite holiday destination? Uh, look, I um, I love going anywhere where where there's a beach. I've got uh, two young boys, so I'm just over 16 months now, and uh, eldest one. 
Um, Harvey is uh, is just under four. He'll be turning four next month. Um, so anywhere where we can go where there's actually a beach and uh, they they just get to run and roam around. Um, look, I don't I don't mind um, any real destination, but I've been finding that just over the last couple of years that's that's pretty therapeutic, right? Because especially you're running off the kids and best place to to run off the kids and and not have to worry about them really getting themselves into too much danger is obviously is on a beach. Yeah. I remember they were always my favorite days at the beach, you know, so you're uh, back to your childhood and you remember those days. So, yeah, I can relate to that. And if you could describe your your management style in, in one word, um, Wes, what, what would that be? Yeah, I'd say, uh, look, I, I'm, I'm probably uh, consultative. Um, um, uh, definitely have evolved my my leadership style over over some uh, over, over the course of my career. Um, some people actually refer to me to my leadership style as as being a, a bit of a chameleon, right? So obviously I can mold it and shape it into any 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 different situation, which which yeah, I, I take that as a compliment. And the last one from me, Wes, is um, what is sort of on your bucket list? Do you have anything on your bucket list that you would like to do? Yeah, look, I'd love to to uh, go and explore Greece and Spain. Look, I, I've travelled quite extensively in the world, but never made my way out to those parts of the world. So they they definitely are there. Possibly, we've, look, my wife Pip and I have been talking about uh, doing some travel. Probably not the right time to to travel with uh, with with a sixteen month old toddler. Um, he'll probably land up uh, causing a little bit of distress with the other passengers on the plane. You know, getting to those different locations. But look, we're 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 looking at planning some trips to to those two destinations. Probably next, maybe next year, right? I lived in Spain for for a year um, during my university days, and uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Valencia. Um, so yeah, if you ever get chance, head down there. It's uh, yeah, it's a really really beautiful part of the country. It's uh, Spain is. Definitely one of my favorites. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I'm going to be reaching out to you to get some more, to get yeah, some more tips on that. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, no worries at all. Um, you speak Spanish as well, Che, don't you? I do speak Spanish. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm sort of losing it a bit. I, I studied Spanish in university, but yeah, to be honest, I, my, my partner doesn't speak Spanish. So it's I, I don't have any time to speak it. So I'm losing it day by day, which is a bit unfortunate. But I think if I go back, I'll probably uh, get back into the swing of things, hopefully. Hey, coming along the um, the, the traveling um, vibeways, um, I'd love to understand a bit about your your background. I remember a podcast that we've done with um, Nick Safiris, who um, worked at um, Ampol. He's one of the um, senior leadership team there. And he said he used SAP to uh, to travel uh, to travel the world. So I've noticed you mentioned there you've you've been to a number of places. But yeah, if you can take us through your your background and how did you get into SAP and what your story is, that would be that would be brilliant, Wes. Sure. Um, look, I'll probably find. Uh, look, I, I I jumped into SAP or landed in SAP by by, by pure accident. Um, actually started out as a as a business analyst. So was was back in. Uh, uh, finished studies uh, back in 2000s. Obviously, you had the whole, you know, um, uh, um, Y2K issues that a lot of companies were obviously trying to work through back in the in the, in the early 2000, or in 2000 itself, or, or leading up to 2000. Um, and then really uh, uh, ventured out into financial services. I started a, a small startup, which which was called IQ Business Group in South Africa. Uh, they were an ex-Anderson consulting outfit, so pretty much you know uh, very similar to how uh, Accenture used to be run as well. Um, and we um, did a bit of work in 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 the, uh, in the in the banking space. 
that took me to a natural progression to actually go take on a, a lead business analyst role at a bank. Probably um, one of the worst jobs that I've had, I would say, where, where I just found that it was you had to wait for your boss to die before you could move up. Um, and um, uh, look, you just needed to, to obviously, uh, you know, uh, um, manage your career in, t- in terms of where you wanted to go. But I, I found a natural a natural um, affiliation back into consulting, right? So that, that's really one of the things that attracted me back into consulting. I, I, I joined Accenture um, on the 1st of August, 2005. Uh, I still remember the day like it was yesterday. And then that mm-hmm. just really um, spawned off my career in SAP. Now, look, I knew a lot about SAP from, from previously because obviously there was a lot of R2, R3 implementations that were still um, happening in the lead up to my studying and obviously uh, in my school career and, and studying um, where I knew uh, quite a fair bit, a bit about the product, especially working in the uh, mining and, and, uh, and manufacturing uh, industries. Mm-hmm. I, did, I did quite a bit of fair work in, uh, as part-time as a student in, in, in manufacturing uh, organizations. So I had a bit of affiliation with what, what SAP could do. Yeah. Um, and then um, I landed up doing a, a conversion and, and uh, a conversion and data migration or data conversion and, and cut of a um, role for uh, for Absa Bank, which is a which is a large large bank owned by Barclays right now um, yeah. in in Africa. Uh, that was a big ERP implementation that they did or transformation they did back in 2005. And then that landed me to, I would say, finding my feet in the human capital space, which is where, where I've pretty much been playing uh, most of most of my career uh, over the last um, the last eighteen years. I would say in SAP, um, where I uh, went to go do a, uh, a an HR implementation for a, a for company a, called Extrata Coal, which is a which which is part of Glencore Glencore right now. Uh, where it was a bit of an out-of-town project, but I had a lot of contractors that I needed to manage who were all pulling in different directions. And so that 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 leadership style of mine really needed to obviously bring everybody into the fore. But I've, I've really found a, a passion in, in, in HR. And I had, nothing, I had known nothing about HR at that stage. I literally only knew about, you know, being an employee and obviously all the different the types of agreements, et cetera, that we worked on and, and, and just found that it was a natural fit for myself. And uh, that's taken me onto different uh, paths, different projects. I did uh, a regional deployment uh, delivery role for SAB Miller. That was in South Africa, London, uh, Colombia, and in, in Europe. Uh, and then uh, I, uh, after I'd finished that, that was around uh, 2010. Um, I was asked to go do a, a global um, cutover role uh, in Singapore for uh, BHP. Or BHP Bulletin at that stage. Now um, I knew know nothing about Singapore, and, and obviously was excited to jump on the opportunity. It was something that I thought, you know, at the time was was very exciting. And and uh, what landed up being a nine month role actually turned out to be I was there for just over three years, right? So so stayed in Singapore from 2011 all the way through to 2013. And that uh, thing just, you know, took me uh, from different destinations, obviously doing quite extensive travel in Singapore, Malaysia, back to South Africa, back then to Singapore. And I did a couple of different roles. So from from conversion, uh, cutover to um, to deployment, to actually helping some of the customer implementation teams, because that's how the, the project was actually structured, to coming to Australia and doing a, a lot of work in, in helping programs um with the SAP payroll and, and deployment strategies. 
and then I, I initially moved to to Brisbane because that was just where I felt a, a natural affiliation. But uh, landed up staying there only for two years. Moved to Melbourne, uh, did quite a, a number of uh, SAP and Success Factors implementations uh, at Telstra, and then of course uh, Energy Australia did some uh, some uh, work at at Orica, which is another mining giant uh, in the process engineering space, especially for their Success Factors implementation. I did a short stint in Singapore to help uh, Orica do their deployment, came back to Australia, uh, did some more work at BHP on their core HR implementation. So a number of years ago, obviously implementing uh, SAP HR uh, back in 2011. And then now we were implementing uh, Employee Central. So that was for a, for a good couple of months as well. And then um, after that, I was asked to go and lead a, a program in in, uh, in Abu Dhabi. So the extensive travel between Melbourne and uh, the UAE. I, th- I think I must have travelled there about twenty times. Right. It, one of the the catches that I actually had, or terms that I should say that I had for the, the project team and the client was very actually open to this was was that I would go for two weeks and come back. So I'd obviously just work a fortnight and then come back to to Australia. So it actually worked out pretty nicely. A lot of uh, first-class travel and business-class travel as opposed to that. But um, yeah, it was really fun. And and, uh, then after that, I took a a little bit of a turn in my career. I wanted to do something a little bit differently. I I ended up leaving Accenture after a a 13-and-a-half-year career. I joined Deloitte to help them re-establish their success factors practice. Uh, so they went from a team of about 10 people in Australia. There was about 10 people in New Zealand as well. At the time, we grew that to 25 in Australia prior to the acquisition of uh, of, of presence of IT. And then that, that then catapulted into another 139 people in, in Australia and New Zealand. Uh, probably pushed them into the what's arguably you know first or second place uh, globally as a as a system implementer. Uh, COVID hit. Obviously, I was affected by uh, mass redundancies that that Deloitte had. And then I picked up a nice role at at IBM as a result of all that work that I did at uh, at both Accenture and um, and and uh, and Deloitte to help them reestablish their their business where where they essentially in their SAP HR business had a had about a 13-year hiatus from actually um, participating in the space. So it's been really exciting and roller coaster career. And I love the um, the very different countries there. And um, what would you say the main differences are between each country? Um, whereas, and, and comparing that to, to Australia, like with the type of people that you work with? Look, I found that working, you know, as a South African, going and working in, um, in countries like Singapore, you had to really tone back you know how you you interact with folks, right? And so obviously the demeanor of, and it looked as South Africans, we we pretty much are very direct, right? And so I, I found <laughs> I needed to to relax a lot of that directness, and obviously working with folks with in 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 Singapore and Malaysia. Obviously there was a lot of multicultural folks, all in uh, working in on on that on that BHP program at the time. Uh, but you really needed to tone down on, you know, how you you delivered your message, et cetera. So it really was the was the start for me around my my empathetic journey. Because up until that time, I'd argue my my leadership style was would would probably much have been autocratic. And so that it evolved into transformational and I found that it's 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 evolved even since then. Right. And say, and in, in Australia, you know, back to the directness again. So I've had to really <laughs> balance that out, right? So I suppose that really comes back to the point that I that I mentioned before is is around it's it's I've got this ability now and and several people have told me this in feedback that I've received is that I've got this ability to 
to switch on and model the, my leadership style according to the situation. So I've actually found that that works, that works pretty well in, in, in good stead, depending on, on the situation. Can you give us an example, Wes, of, um, of that? Just so yeah. if, they, if they're listening, they can learn, learn of someone like you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Look, I found when when I moved from Accenture to Deloitte, I would I was I was often referred to by some of the partners as as having a few rough edges, right? So so for those that are listening, they'll, they'll know exactly who 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 they were that mentioned that. Look, that's not that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Uh, look, Accenture's got very much a, a certain style of how they teach. Um, folks in the different consulting um, schools that you travel overseas to, and obviously, and the methodology, et cetera, how you know you plan the work, work the plan. But Deloitte was a very much a different organization where it was very much about the people. And so you couldn't necessarily have a particular style of this is the way I'm going to do things. You did had to have a lot of consultation with the team, et cetera. And it was the team's feedback from that more that 360 view perspective that actually you would have a consolidated view. So I found that I needed to uh, needed to adapt my style of how I came into the organization and, and really tone down a lot of that directness, right, and really learn the business at the same stage. Because, I mean, arguably, they, they were two very different businesses and business models that they run. Um, and I found that just working with um, with with a number of different individuals in, in Australia, that uh, both partners and obviously peers and, and, and some of the folks that I worked with directly on, on, on different projects, really helped shape shape how I actually uh, it re revolutioned working in, in, in Deloitte and actually embraced the organization as such, right? I think it was very much what what um, what Mark Cooper is, is, is another, uh, been a strong influencer in my, in my career is actually uh, what, he, what he definitely terms as a defining moment in your career. That's excellent. I also like that that travel aspect, as Jay mentioned, you know, it's the beauty of it really. You know, all of those countries you mentioned, there's quite a lot there as well that you sort of SAP has took you, you know, on a journey and been able to to visit and travel all of, all to these amazing places as well, which is um, which is excellent. What what I suppose what keeps you in SAP in the SAP domain was and and what do you enjoy about it? I suppose. Yeah, look, um, Jay, I would say it's, it's a lot of it has got to do with the people, right? I mean, there's there's relationships that are forged, and I'm sure there's there's many many folks like me that have forged over the last you know 18, 20 years, right? I mean, I, I've I've been working now for um, just over 22 years. It's definitely the people, right? And and I enjoy the people. Uh, there's some folks that I've worked with for you know over f uh, in four different roles, and and some of them, and obviously the the three major consultants consultancies that I've worked at. And uh, I often found that, you know, a lot of it is is about, you know, yes, the technology is evolving, et cetera. Um, but it's also one of those um, uh, those industries that really takes you uh, into into new new spaces and new boundaries and constant, consistently pushes you outside of your comfort zone. Right. I, I'm very, very much one of those proponents for 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 being pushed out of my comfort zone. If I feel that I'm being comfortable, I really take a step back and actually see, well, how else do I get out of my comfort zone? And which which we all which we all need to recognise is an area for growth for us. So you thrive thrive from a challenge as well, which is uh, which is good. And yeah. as a leader, Wes, um, you know, what do you think are the three most important leadership traits? So one, believe in your in your team. So you know um, it, you could argue that um, you know your leadership style that that may evolve from the five shape um, to um, obviously uh, transformational uh, or democratic. 
uh, believing in the teams and picking obviously your team that you that you have working with you on the ground, trusting your team and giving them the freedom to actually uh, make their own mistakes, right? So, you know, I, I'm a firm believer and look, this has happened to me in my career, um, uh, you know, especially when when I was junior, when you, when you have some managers that that hover over you and almost, you know, uh, micromanage, right? That that doesn't really help people grow, etc. So I, I'm very much a firm believer. You you need to almost balance between having that hands-on um, um, management style versus also being able to let go and allow people to to learn their lessons themselves, because. If you if you don't really learn those lessons, you're not going to really be able to to grow in your career. Oh, it's, uh, I know Jay and uh, our MD Simon always referred to the uh, the term of um, you know it's not a failure if you learn from it, um, and I, I absolutely love that one because it's you know it's, it couldn't be any more true, really. You know. Yeah, yeah. One one thing I've also found is um, is is not being afraid to ask for help. Right, I think. Uh, um, many of us, I suppose, even you know my, myself included, right? I suppose coming from a from a South African background, uh, we we very much go and try something and try and try and try, and uh, you know you'd argue that you'd see it as a you know as as a failure that you you've you've tried something, etc. But I learned very early on in my career that asking for help is actually a sign of maturity. So I always find that with with the teams that I lead and obviously people that I mentor and coach as well, you know, don't be afraid to 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 ask for help, right? It's it's actually a sign of maturity in how you evolved. We're not going to be specialists in everything, right? So you you do need to demonstrate that and um and recognize that for yourself, right? You know that that's uh, you know, rather you know, go and go and ask for help from from folks that you you know that understand a particular subject matter. Yes, you can learn a lot about it, but you don't have to be a specialist in everything. That was one of the, the positives I I felt um coming out of the pandemic where a lot more people were open to ask for for help not only work but the, the mental health side as well um yeah. and it's it's actually like you said it is a sign of maturity to uh, to ask for help focus on on uh, post post pandemic now where how's your leadership style adapted um a, again uh jay i, I would i would uh, classify myself as a uh, as to be very much transformation i think i've evolved from that autocratic to uh, to democratic to now what's what is arguably transformational. Yes, you you've had that laissez faire um, you know leadership style there. You could argue that that's obviously where you 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 you're somewhat transformational, somewhat democratic, but you you essentially are completely hands off as a manager. I think that's got pros and cons, right? But very much now a transformational leader. I I. I encourage a lot of uh, camaraderie and, and 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 consultation with with the the teams that are working I, I myself like as as a manager to get my hands dirty right so we're obviously in the trenches with everybody um and um and and not uh, that style where it's very much autocratic right and it's like you know this is what we what we're going to do etc yes there are probably times where you need to as a leader make those decisions on behalf of the team and obviously guide that through because you know you're in trouble waters but it's 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 got to be very it's very much situational and um, so definitely think that um uh, over the course of my career uh, that i've become more rounded and, and really polished out all those rough edges and and Wes, in terms of you know sap programs obviously as you mentioned there you've worked on a good a good amount of sap programs you know as from i suppose um on the bottom to the top really you know leading those as well and to you, what does a, I suppose, a successful SEP program look like 
and how has your view of this evolved or changed over time? Yeah, it, it's um, it, that's a great question, um, Che. I, I find that um, you know a, a lot of it is is when you in an SAP program, the more you can practice and rehearse something, right? So, for example, we just take um, kind of rehearsing the go laugh, right? The more and more and more you can practice that, and and it would actually be when it becomes a, a non-event when you actually go live, you know, then you've 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 done your job right. Um, essentially, that there's no surprises, etc. So identifying risks and risks uh, early, obviously mitigating issues early on, and being open and collaborative and working as a team. It's it's no good. And uh, I'm I'm working. I've been working on a on a large transformational program. Currently at the moment, and, and um, there has been instances where where um, you know teams work in silos, etc. And we've actually had to break down a lot of those boundaries, right? Because the complex, the more and more complex programs we work on, right? Sometimes we forget that that aspect, especially like in the in in the world that we're working in now. It's it's a it's an implementation that's run uh, where people are from uh, are participating in different states, different locations, etc. And so you can't always be in 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 front of each other face to face in person. We do try and locate from time to time, but you've always got to bring that back to the fore. How can how can I and the team be be different in terms of, uh, of of creating value for this customer, right? And and almost seeing it as if you were uh, you were actually a shareholder of that particular organization, right? So putting yourself into into the shoes of you're a custodian of this particular, you know, receiving this implementation. What would it be like um, for from from that perspective? Well, as you mentioned um, a couple of times there around um, teams working in silos and you having to uh, break down the uh, the barriers um how do you do that especially obviously i'll notice you're, you're at home today and working remote how, how do you how do you go about that especially in that remote environment yeah look uh jay i i, I um i find that look I, I do travel quite extensively um so when when i when i am in town so a couple of weeks time i'm going to be in in perth so a few of us are actually traveling into perth for uh, for another client and and find that I usually celebrate even the small successes with the team. So so trying to pair that with a team building event or going out for drinks or dinner, etc. Teams that are that are that that, uh, that know me really well, I love to to go out to to a nice restaurant, etc. And obviously celebrate the the wins, right? However big they are, and really bring the teams together from a camaraderie perspective. From from that point of view, um, I, I think when you break bread uh, with with you know, the, with with people around your team, they really respect you a lot more, and and really um, you know it's a, it's a way that you can you can collaborate around how you you improve and and, and go forward. Yes, that's not always possible. Possible, you know, when you're working virtually. I mean, arguably, I, I love I love working virtually. I mean, I've got coffee on tap when I want to. Um, Canberra doesn't have the Canberra doesn't have the best coffee, so I, I must I must admit that I, that I do have my coffee shipped in from Melbourne. I've got a really nice uh, cafe that I that I get my coffee from in Melbourne. But um, to, uh, it, it's it's also it's really nice to. And and it's also nice to go in and have those those coffee breaks with individuals, right? And, and yeah. so I try try and do a lot more of that. So I've got a bit of a balance right now where I work some days uh, remotely and some days I, I'm in the office and, and client facing, right? So I'm trying to strike the balance between the two. That's a really good point that you made there. You know, sort of going out for I suppose dinner and that sort of thing with the team after a success. And obviously in this market, as you, I think we've had this conversation once before, you know, retention is obviously so important. And I think recognition um, of your team comes, you know, comes down to that. So 
the fact that you know rewarding the team and going out and celebrating after a success is is fantastic. Um, really like that idea, which is which is good. Um, we talked around failure and I suppose learning um, just a moment ago. And what would you describe as your biggest failure, um, Wes? And, and how did you learn from that in your career? Yeah, look, I mean, I think uh, Chad, there's been a, there's been a few examples where. Um, where that's happened, but one that comes to mind is look, I went through a burnout a, a couple of years ago, right? So it, it was a particular program where we were um, running a global deployment, and uh, I think arguably many of us were burning the candle at both ends. Client wasn't listening, some of our leadership wasn't listening, um, and uh, I, I think I just needed to hit the reset button, right? In terms of in terms of where we were we were going, etc., and to and, and Really recognizing that that I needed to hand a baton over to uh, to to some new blood coming into the organization to actually take that forward, but myself, I think I was just traveling too extensively and 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 really voicing my opinion around where the the program should be focused on. But look, we were under some pretty tight budget constraints, and then that manifested itself in the team, etc. And Look, many of the many of the folks uh, on that particular program wanted to go take a, a bit of a different direction in their, in their careers, but they actually learned a valuable lesson um, from the point that you know if you are finding that you're being pushed to your limits, you know you need to know when to crawl back from that. I mean, it's been a few years since since that's happened, right? And so now I actually know exactly when I can be pushed to my limit and when not. And adversely, I've also found that with um, uh, with with the teams that I lead, I know when to push them and when not. Not to push them right and so really having that open dialogue with with people up front that look you know you, your people are your biggest asset you don't want to burn your people out because at the end of the day look organizations are going to really you know uh, are, are going to try and find alternative ways to put new folks into those roles to move forward because obviously you, you don't want to you don't want to result in cost overruns etc and obviously lose revenue but you need to bring it back to the people aspect, you know, the fact that you've got you, you've got this biggest asset, you need these people to drive. And most of the people that I've worked with in my career will will all uh, uh, relate to this. And, 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 um, and when I say that, uh, you know, um, focusing on them as individuals is key and paramount, right? And so many people that will actually tell that about you is that that they would I would put the people first right before I put the program first. Yeah, so I, I, talking about people, I, I, I can imagine you've worked with hundreds and hundreds of really good um, people and leaders and um, people in your team in the past. But who would you say has been the, the biggest influence on your career? Um, and what did they teach you? Yeah, okay, I, I find a lot of, uh, you know, listen to a lot of uh, podcasts, etc. you know, about obviously um, leadership styles, etc. And, 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 and as you evolve. I mean, we've been obviously following you know people like Elon Musk and and uh, and, and Steve Jobs. I I enjoy a lot of the uh, motivational speeches that uh, Satya Nadella gives from from Microsoft. But one of the the, the key people that come to mind for me is uh, who's who's been a very very strong proponent in my in my career and and, and obviously advocate for me um, has been um, Mark Cooper. So he's a he's a senior partner at Focus HQ and and uh, I've worked with him at Defining Leaders. Actually worked uh, met Mark when I was at BHP a number of years ago back in 2011, 
and and he's one of those people that has actually um, been coaching me in the background and helping me shape that you know that that leadership style as well. So he's definitely one of the one of the the key people that uh, that that stand out for me. But I really have been finding with with um, you know a number of different um, uh, podcasts that I've been listening to recently. So currently listening to a whole um, uh, Harvard Business Review idea cost where they they have um, leading thinkers in business and management diving to topics about you know driving up sales how do you, you know what kills deals etc dealing with management issues burnout so that that's really what resonated for with me um, networking and obviously um, uh, family businesses and then also been uh, listening to quite a bit uh, from uh, Dasha Kurtnett, uh, who actually has been doing a podcast around the the science of happiness. So actually that dives into topics about, you know, what makes you tick and, and focusing on empathy. So those are just a few things that, that have been been quite influential. Nice, nice. Okay. Well, before we um, ask you who, who you'd like to um, listen to on the podcast, I'd, I'd love to... Um, gather your knowledge, I guess, and what, what would you tell your 21-year-old um, self if you had that chance? Yeah, I think that's that's quite a that's quite an easy one for me. I mean, I, I took a quite a while in my career to 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 settle in to figure out what it is that I wanted to do. I mean, arguably in the in the early 2000s, um, uh, many of the organizations weren't um, the consulting firms weren't weren't hiring at scale at that stage, right? And uh, needed to really find your feet. But I'd say don't be scared to travel uh, and 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 go and explore the world early. I, I, I sometimes say this to my wife that I wish I came to Australia about you know twenty years ago. Um, and and take more risks along the way. Look, I've taken some some pretty good calculated risks, but don't be afraid to take more risks, right? Excellent. Okay. And then um, lastly, um, where's yeah, who who would you like to see on the uh, on the podcast? Ah, oh, you've had a you've had a quite a good array of of uh, of folks already from um, from Alexandra Nachi, who I know pretty well, uh, to um, to Amanda Okafor, as you've said, amongst others. Uh, I think uh, another good person that's uh, that's also been a, um, a, an influence on me, both both personally and professionally. Is uh, is Matthew Katakis. So Matt, so Matt is the global CEO for for Spinifex IT. I worked with him uh, when when I was at, at BHP uh, back in 2011. But, but him and I have had a, a very good uh, relationship over the last number of years, um, where um, he's he's just really been one of those people that have actually uh, very much matured as uh, into a role as a COO where he was, was arguably a management consultant. So it's really taken on a, a very dynamic role within a very small company and growing uh, very radically in a, a very short space of time. Excellent. Well, I'm sure Che will be reaching out to him um, after mm -hmm. this podcast. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Excellent. Now, Wes, um, thank you very much for, for today. That was absolutely fantastic to uh, yeah tap into your history and your leadership style and how you've adapted and, and those different countries so yeah thank you very much for coming on i really appreciate it excellent well thank you very much jay and Jay. all right so um, <laughs> uh, it's been it's been great to talk to you guys and 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 uh look forward to to uh to catching up with you guys soon yeah thanks so much wes really appreciate that that was excellent awesome there we go. please like share comment and subscribe to the configure it done podcast